Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you? What the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fucksters? I am Mark Marin. This is WTF. Welcome to the show. Today on the show, St. Vincent is here and she's uh, on tour now. She's in Florida, Texas, and Oklahoma this week. You can go check her out live. She's very uh, focused and um, poised woman and artist. I talked to her for a while, and you will hear that conversation. Maybe go back and listen to some of her older stuff and get back into that mindset of where I used to be back when I was uh, sort of uh, blowing my mind on experimental music and art rock and the whatnots. Doing that when I was in high school, listening to the Frips and the Enos and the Friths and the Hassles and the Residents. For some reason, she pushed me back into that in my mind before I met with her. I did some of that. I did some of that nostalgizing. I nostalgized myself in a, in a sort of like, a, you know, that was, a, that was a different time where, you know, we had, uh, you know, I had my hair cut in ways that might have been considered artistic. I wore pants that might have had uh, ankle straps on them, maybe puffy at the bottom. I wore shirts, perhaps, uh, that you couldn't see the buttons of and uh, button them all the way up to my neck. Yeah, I had two earrings in uh, in my ear. It might have been that time that I was listening to that music. You know, the commitment to getting the second hole in the ear, that was a fairly provocative and artistic choice. Now I just have these vague sort of slight scars where occasionally be a conversation starter. Not the same as having two earrings in. More like, did you have, did you have two holes in your ear? Yeah, yeah, I did. Wow, really? Yeah, yeah, it's a different time. That's the conversation that happens now around the negation of earrings. What was once a hole for earrings, now just an indicator of a of a time scrambling for a sense of self and hoping the hoops would make it happen. Those were the days, my friends. Those were the days. I had my niece in town. Uh, this weekend and this is not the niece that was out here before this is the niece that i bought a guitar for and she's been playing it but she come out and this is a smarty this girl's a smarty she's a smarty in high school she's applying to colleges but uh i asked her you know which classes she likes and she said calculus she likes calculus i don't even know what calculus is i don't even 
do not. Here's how I responded to that. Do you need algebra to get to know calculus? She said, yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I'm out. I'm out. Nope, not happening. I, I don't know what X is. Almost ever. <laughs> I don't know. She's, she's studying biology. I think I did all right in biology, but she like she aced algebra. She, she just, she's that kind of person. She wants to study biology, but she's also doing the guitar thing and she's kind of into some arts. She has a very limited diet, which was challenging. Few choices, macaroni and cheese, a fish, or a pizza. So uh, even though I'm off the cigarettes, I, I forced myself to eat pizza and that was tough. It was tough, folks. Hope you feel bad for me. Forced myself to eat pizza. I take her to the UCB. I took my other niece there to the UCB to see ASCAT. Because I'm not a big improv guy, as you know, but I'll go. And I like the structure of ASCAT. I've done the monologues for ASCAT. This is where you have a, mono, a monologist who comes out and does a, a story based on a suggestion from the crowd, a personal story, then five improvisers, four or five improvisers, riff on the story. Then there's a break. Then they do a little more monologue. And then the improvisers you know, riff on that. And it all comes together in the end. And it, obviously it's hit or miss, but you know, usually it's pretty funny. Uh, we were at the UCB, uh, the old one over on Franklin. But I got to tell you, man, for some reason, both times I was there, this guy, Zach Woods, who I, I couldn't, like, I'm looking at him like, I know this guy and he's on Silicon Valley. I guess he's been on The Office and stuff. But he was at the UCB, part of the ASCAP. Both times I saw it, this guy's a fucking genius. He's hilariously funny. And I don't say that about anybody. But I was laughing. I was, I generally kind of like, it takes a lot to get me into the, oh God, I can't stop laughing place. But he did it and it was awkward to me. Maybe the lack of nicotine is allowing me to have more of that I can't stop laughing place. But Jesus, man, this guy is fucking funny. I don't know what his story is, but wow. Zach Woods. He plays the tall guy. He's a very awkward, um, funny dude on, on Silicon Valley. But he was tremendous and was a great show. So I nailed that. And on Friday night, that was Saturday. Friday we went, I did, I wanted to take her to Sarah Silverman's show and Sarah put me on the, on the show. So my niece got to see me perform with Sarah and uh, Gerard Carmichael, Kirk Fox and Tig Notaro. And that was exciting. I don't think my, uh, she, I mean, she definitely liked Tig. And uh, I don't know. I think, I think she, she indulged me because she was staying at my house. She, she said I was funny. But very interesting to to realize that this girl, this teenager, uh, is uh, quite, you know, is, is much smarter than me in several different ways. And I can't even recommend that she try to get as smart as I am in the ways that she isn't smart. That's that's being a good uncle. You know what? You're doing great. Nothing I, I nothing I've put myself through is necessarily of any value to you. I hope good luck with your medical career. <laughs> Don't. Don't get swayed away on some other trajectory by insecurity or uncontrollable desire unless you want to live the life of an artist. Oh, you know what? I wanted to do this for my friend Andrea Martin, who I love, who's a comedic genius. I talked to her, okay? I talked to Andrea Martin, and that interview will be up soon, but her book is out already, I should say. It's been out. It's her memoir. It's called Lady Parts. It's available now. And if you want a good holiday gift for a comedy fan or just for yourself, pick up a copy. It's hilarious. She's really one of the funniest people in the world. Uh, in this clip, we're talking about how hard it is to sell books because I've had a couple books. 
So hopefully this will make it a little easier. Uh, enjoy this clip, and again, uh, the interview will be up soon. And the book, and this just came out, right? Yeah. Lady parts? Yeah. And people liking it? I, people seem to. Do they ever tell you they don't? That would be bad. Are people buying it? Ah, that's a different story. Those are two different questions. You're, you're not going to know for about a year. <laughs> Is that true? Uh, who the hell knows with books? Wow, I've written books. You just don't know. But yeah, but then like, but the great thing about books is it's out there forever. And then out of nowhere, I five years from true. now, people are like, I just read your book. <laughs> like, where were you when it came out? I here's a, here's a, the, a, a great thing. Yes, it has been a learning curve for me, certainly, yeah. for this book. Because you put your heart and soul in it, as you know. Yeah. And then, really? 40 million people are buying away. They don't want to hear my precious <laughs> words that took me, <laughs> I felt like a lifetime to reveal. Um so, so first of all, you got to let your ego go. That's number one that I've learned. Yeah, 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 books are hard. But um, I'll tell you what has been gratifying to me. Mm. I really wrote this book thinking that I was reaching a, a, a demographic of women over 50, thinking I was talking to right. them. And um, the young people that um, are Comedy moved people. by this, or not even coming, I just did an interview with a beautiful young girl. She went to school with my son at Kenyon. Um, she's 31 and she interviewed me for the Hollywood Reporter yeah. the podcast and she was you know her, her eyes filled up you know young I don't know what it is I don't know if it's because I talk about being a young girl starting out or if it's just truthful and authentic and people gravitate toward authenticity Yes, but it, that's been very gratifying so I have to keep reminding myself of that when I see Lena Dunham on number one and I'm 19,454 <laughs> on Amazon.com wow that's seems to be really low down the list. <laughs> that can change if someone buys two books. That's what I, No, then that, how about that crazy do addiction? Look, don't look at that. Oh, that's the word. That don't is a it. bottomless pit of despair. Because it's it changes. It's not based on anything. What is it based on? It's based on, if somebody buys 10 copies of your books, it, it can be, it can go up at 10,000 points. Like it's just based on, I think that that Amazon number is just based on per day sales. Oh Through my. that, through Amazon. Wow. Like it, it's, I think it's really that simple. That like it, it's really just based on like if someone went and bought, like if right now someone <laughs> went went and bought five books, yeah, it would go up like two hundred. Oh my! Don't God. judge on that. Oh no, don't I do can't. That oh no, that's like the chat rooms. It's the worst. Those are oh, two places to go. Have you been there too? And Broadway, I have. Yeah, oh, that's been that's on. a disastrous come thing. Come on, yeah. Who the hell's doing? Who the hell is on comment boards for Broadway shows? Old people. Something. And they're mean to you. Kind of, no, they're not mean. But oh, good. if you could, you can find anything mean if you comb those things sure, long enough. Sure. If you're that desperate, yeah. I'm not going to stop until I really read something that devastating. Hurts, that hurts what me. is that about? Yeah, I don't know, but I do it. Don't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what is it about then? It's the constant need for validation. Still happening. What the hell? Still happening. That's why I've got to buy Pema Children's new book. I'm sure I'm pronouncing that wrong. The Beautiful Buddhist Nun. Yeah. And her sales will go up if yeah, I do that. Sure. But I point. can guarantee you one thing. She's not checking Amazon.com. She shouldn't be. No. It'd be, it'd she doesn't be, need to. She's not going to tell anybody if she is. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be interesting. I, yeah. I, I don't know if I would assume that she's not, though. Yeah. I mean, some of those people, you know, you don't know what goes on inside, really. Well, that's the truth. You never really know. Sure. All those people that are fighting the good fight and seem like real Zen masters, they might be... Seeing Secretly just festering. Fighting the good 
fight. Yeah. I think that's a great thing to say, actually, because I do feel that sometimes life is a battle and you have to fight. It's horrendous. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes it's beautiful. But it's it's interesting to me that I think that probably speaks to a little bit why that woman at The Hollywood Reporter, a younger woman, yeah. would because, I mean, in terms of women role models and and people that, that persevere despite you know all odds, and especially in the business that we're in and continue to work, I mean, it's a very moving story for people. Yeah, uh, you know, no matter what, you know, that you, whatever you come from, yeah. the, the sort of weird persistence that it takes, whether it's a need for validation or a need to connect or whatever it is, I mean, it's very easy to def- get defeated in this, in this racket. Yeah. Either by yourself or others. <laughs> yeah, it is. I think most people fall on the wayside because they've, they've lost the fight within themselves uh, to keep moving forward. Talent is a tricky thing, man. And, and you have it in spades and you've always had it. And, and it's clear that it manifested itself very, very early. But it was undeniable. Well, know? thank you. But I think talent's overrated, actually. Here's what I think kind yeah, of keeps yeah. people going. The sheer joy and curiosity at what I'm going to create. And I don't mean to be a Pollyanna or undermine the unbelievable struggles people have because your listeners are going to say, you think that's all it takes? I have a lot of joy about my... Look, I think luck has a lot to do with it. Yeah. I think talent, sure. perseverance. But for me, it's trying to look at this business as a business, not personally, and try to keep although I have it in spite of myself, a great um, excitement, enthusiasm for uh, people and things. And And you've always had that? I have always had that. Yes, I have. Were there periods in your life where it was like, (laughs) it's diminishing? No, there were great periods where I'm sad or feel lonely or um, have to uh, struggle with anxiety that I struggle with or... uh, Sure. Look, this is, look at, I had an opening last night of Pippin. I'm talking to you. I have a book out. I'm about to start a movie, Night in the Museum. Look, it's a, it's a lovely time in my life. But I had to switch gears at a certain point, Mark. I had to, really, when I reached 65, I'm 67 now, because I was, was saying no to a lot of things. And it wasn't bringing me any joy. And who the hell cared if I was saying, so you think people out there are like, oh, Andrea Martin said no to that career offer. <laughs> Nobody gives a shit what yeah. I'm doing. That's a Another thing that really keeps you sane. Every time you think somebody's thinking about you, tr- trust me, they got other things to think Themselves. about. Oh my God, yeah. 100%. So that was a relief, reassuring, you know? It's me and Andrea Martin. Um, look forward to that interview here on WTF. What else is happening? Let's talk now to the amazing St. Vincent here in the garage. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school, or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature, and now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Fox Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Fox Page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcasts. 
long have you been living in New York? Uh, I've been bouncing around New York for probably... What year is Probably like eight years. Yeah? Yeah. And do you, have you seen a change? Did you? I mean, because I was there in like the late 80s. And oh, yeah. Now it's like, what's going on here? I mean, I sort of missed... I mean, I was just talking about Williamsburg yesterday because my bandmate... Um, Toko Yasuda was in a band called Enan, which was like um, part of that whole like post 9-11 New York Williamsburg scene like yeah yeah yeah's and TV oh, on the radio I didn't, I didn't know that was like what was it was there was actually a scene that was like called the post 9-11 no, Williamsburg scene no it's just their hypothesis that uh-huh. that 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 scene kind of it's not the scene existed right, sure. but but like the media was very excited to shine a spotlight on it the AAS that's, I remember them yeah they're around didn't she just put out a record yeah she did you know I just saw her with um, David Byrne she played a solo show at um, La Poisson Rouge in New York that's where I taped my special that used to be the village gate yeah back in the day I keep saying back in the day like I'm an old guy oh yeah no, I'm sorry not. that's fine <laughs> so <laughs> well your record I listened to the new record I listened to all your records I crammed my uh, life with you uh, my head. I'm sorry. The last, no, well, don't be sorry. I mean, I'd I'd gotten the new record uh, a while back, and I'd listened to it, and I liked it because you know you can dance to it uh, in your car, <laughs> and uh, it seems like it, it feels like a dance record. Is it possible that it's a dance record in some way? Yeah, it's kind of a dance record. It is right. Yeah, like it, it reminded me of being at clubs that I was never at when I was younger. <laughs> <laughs> it reminded me of like you know like uh, you know New York clubs. But uh, but then I went further back, and then I looked at pictures of you uh, from when you were younger, oh, holding Jesus. guitars. Oh Jesus! No, I like pictures, like because now, like your uh, the the pictures. It's interesting, just the pictures, the evolution of pictures of you. What? Why are you looking oh. grimacing? Like you, they, no, it's just the, the internet is a cemetery, but nothing ever dies. You know, that's, that's like, right. Oh God, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. This active ghosts of you everywhere. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. It is a cemetery where, yeah, where everything's on view. Yeah, yeah. It's just you know, <laughs> all the tombs are it's, open. It's just constant post-mortem. Yeah. Mortem. Yeah. Yeah. No, but it, it's interesting to see that there's this uh, just evolution in how you were presenting yourself because now, like, it's almost um, there seems to be. Uh, a very calculated way of uh, of how you're like, this is the future and this is me now. What was the evolution of that? What's the new look? What's the new look? Um, well, I dyed my hair like a year and a half ago. Great. On a, on, well, no. I tried, to, I tried <laughs> to go like, you know, cool punk rock platinum blonde, right. but I totally failed. I missed the mark. My friend came over and did it. I was writing the record in Austin and my, yeah. friend, my friend came over and did it and it was like orange it was horrifying right um, and uh and so it was a series of like mistake after mistake after mistake um, right yellow <laughs> like straw yellow yeah. um and eventually i kind of la- right around the time of the press photos i landed on on a gray kind of a purpley gray uh-huh. but, i mean it sounds kind of more complicated and contrived than, right. than it was it was right. like i was watching the bachelor and like david bowie videos from the late 70s and i was like oh uh, that sounds like a good idea which which ones well like the um the young americans tour yeah yeah because yeah. yeah. that's a funny one because those video, like his um dick cavett performance he's so emaciated he was he's it's like frightening yeah, yeah. To see him, like it almost feels like it's like he's like a wisp of a you know a person. Yeah, just a little esper. Yeah, yeah. He and and that video cracks me up because it's like every everybody's in business casual. Mm-hmm. It's like just 
just got off the job from yeah. the, from the bank and now I wandered onto the Dick Cavett show. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny. It was like it was almost like dandyish, but not. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Well, he was good at straddling all those lines. I don't. He's I, the best. Yeah, he's the only one really. I mean, that can continue to do it. Now he seems to kind of be resigned and being a, a, an older man. Well, I, I thought I thought is the story. Do you know? I don't know, but no. I thought the story was. Um, I thought that he had a heart attack on stage and recently. decided. Well, I don't know if it was recently, but then decided to retire. Oh, I think that that's public information. No, no, I, really I, I heard he was ill, but I, I didn't yeah. know. Like, it, it, it obviously he didn't drop. I guess maybe it was a little heart attack because we would have all known if he fell down and had a heart attack. But I also was a, a big Bowie fan when I was younger, and I still, it's still sort of fascinating to me. How he did that, how he did straddle all that from mm -hmm. all these different looks. So he had a big impact on you? Oh, big time. All yeah. the way back? Like when was the first ones? Uh, like the first Bowie song where you're like, holy shit. Actually, my first introduction to Bowie was Aladdin Sane. Right. And just that like really um, totally insane piano playing from Mike Garson. Right. Yeah, I think David Bowie said about Mike Garson, he's the best rock piano, piano player, keyboard player, because he's not a rock keyboard did player. Did you, you work with him? I did, yeah, 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 yeah. I was, um, I was in a band called the Polyphonic Spree when I was a, a kiddo. Right. So it was you and ninety people. It was me and ninety people, <laughs> yeah. and there was like Red Bull was really big. I just remember drinking so much Red Bull. It vodka. was like new then. Yeah. Red Bull was the thing. It was the thing. Yeah. And you, you just like get super jacked up on Red Bull and vodka, and then go act like a maniac. Wow. Yeah, and there's like uh, there was like full choirs, right? Yeah, I mean, at the I joined in 2005 because I had I dropped out of school um, as a Berkeley College of Music. I dropped out of school and then I didn't tell my parents, but I moved to New York, um, trying to I you know like doing that thing where you think you're going to go to New York and make it. Sure. Of course, you know even then New York was way too expensive. To, what year was that? That was mm. 2004. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, wait, like let's that. go back. So where'd you grow up? I grew up, uh, I was born in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Have you done comedy in Tulsa? I have once. Really? Where? I can't remember if it was Tulsa or Oklahoma City. Where does Wayne live? Oh, Wayne, Wayne lives in Oklahoma City. Yeah. I was in Oklahoma City, but I grew up in New Mexico, so I'd driven through Tulsa. Yeah. Like where I, I where in New Mexico? Albuquerque. Oh. Yeah. I grew up there from third grade to through high school. So like I'm I'm kind of familiar with the uh, you know the Southwest kind of like Oklahoma Texas Colorado Arizona yeah. thing because I, I was in the middle of there. I used to go to New Mexico a whole lot. Where? Uh, I used to go to Taos, New Mexico, go hiking. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, up there. it's wonderful. Yeah, uh, I used to go skiing there. Yeah, too scared to ski. I'm yeah? not a scared. Not a, no, I don't know. You're frightened of skiing. Yeah. Horses? Anything? Love horses, but not skiing. Love horses. In fact, once when we were a little. Uh, I don't remember. I must have been like seven. We went to a dude ranch in Colorado. And I, you know, when you're yeah, seven, sure. you uh, you just fall in love with the horse that you're assigned for the whatever. The, so well, I you went with your family? Yeah, I went with my family. For like two weeks or something? Yeah, I think it was like a, it was like kind of one of those like, like, sorry for the divorce, like kind of vacations. <laughs> a, so um, you went with one side of the yeah, 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 exactly. And uh, and I remember just being so enamored of, of this horse and thinking, oh, I'm going to ride off into the sunset. And so I packed, I got back to Dallas and I uh, was just fantasizing about Silverado. Oh, Who's in only, Dallas? Um, that's where I, my mom and stepdad. Oh, uh, Silverado, you're fantasizing, fantasizing about? Yeah, so I 
got this idea in my head that I was going to go find Silverado and we would just ride off into the sunset. So I packed a little backpack, you know, full of clothes and that, fruit. That and, was the horse's name? Yeah, that was the horse's name. And then... Um, oh, that's, so, that's cute. But then, like yeah. many things, yeah. I just forgot about it. And so I'd had this, I had this one day, like six months later, I was... Um, my room was just really smelling. Mm-hmm. And I, I found the backpack just full of like fetid fruit. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, that dream. <laughs> the, the big plans. <laughs> yeah, that's... Dude Ranch, that's so weird because I, I that's such a like uh, a Western thing. I, um, I think my family went to a dude ranch and I had not thought about it. Tanca Verde Ranch was the name of the dude yeah. ranch. Yeah. And all I remember is, uh, you know, finding a dead snake. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I and know. arrowheads. Arrowheads were a big part of life. Yeah, but you never knew if it was really an arrowhead. I mean, you'd look a lot <laughs> and, you know, it's kind of like one. You know, there's a lot of rocks that were questionable arrowheads. That was a, a lot of growing up in the Southwest. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right, so you, you were born in Tulsa, but how long did your family live in Oklahoma? Because, like, Oklahoma is, like, some serious cowboy shit. It's, yeah, um... I I moved to Dallas when I was seven, so my parents divorced when I was three, four, somewhere in there, and then my mom remarried, moved moved us to Dallas, and my dad stayed in in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and remarried and had and you, more kids and stuff. You got a bunch of half brothers and mm-hmm. sisters. I do, and, and a, step step brothers and sisters. Wow! So you get along with the folks? Yeah, my mother's a fucking saint. Yeah, she's amazing. Yeah, and my stepdad's a really good guy, and my dad is a complicated dude. Um, what was his trip? Uh, he's, you know, I think at some point he just started to value things that I don't think are that valuable, like money. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he. What did he do? What was his thing? Uh, he did. Uh, he was involved in. He worked for uh, Dean Witter in the eighties. Uh, yeah. He's kind of on that trip. The kinda money that, trip. Kind of on that trip. Yeah. Yeah. Not, nothing tangible. Just money. Yeah. I mean, he's a brilliant guy. Yeah. Uh, Anglophile, you know, can recite James Joyce and... Oh, yeah? Yeah. He's a brilliant, totally brilliant guy. But, so he's a, like, hyper-educated appreciator of literature. Yes. Definitely, you know, my... I'd get, like, a Kingsley Amos book for Christmas and be, like... 10 and I'm trying to read this British satire that you have to know right. about the aristocracy and the whole British culture and I had no context for that so it didn't read a satire and it was just boring as hell. Right. I, I've gone back and reread that stuff but and I get it now. But well, it's, sort of, it's sort of good that he, at least he was inappropriate intellectually. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it was uh, instead of a, instead of a like a, a first communion or anything, he got me Bertrand Russell's "Why I'm Not a Christian" and just thank God yeah. <laughs> or thank not God. Yeah, yeah. So there was so. not you didn't grow up with that because there's like some of your songs there's some Jesusy stuff. Well, you mentioned Jesus. Yeah, I'm yeah I'm super in, I'm weirdly super into it. I mean, not as a I'm agnostic as a as a right. person agnostic so you definitely differentiate between atheism agnostic and belief well i i kind of i'm kind of with louis ck yeah. on that wouldn't isn't it isn't the world so much more wonderful if you are open to the possibility of magic magic yeah you know sure i know i'm with you i'm with you why close the door why me? close the door why why be that kind of cranky control freaky kind of person yeah, uh, yeah. yeah i i who else was i talking to i can't remember it, it's just oh it was actually um maynard maynard keen yeah you know, from he has a winery i know 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was at a Whole Foods (laughs) in like Milwaukee, Mm -hmm. Wisconsin three years ago, just, you know, stocking up on hippie shit. Mm -hmm. And like, I saw a little like, like they were handing out flyers like Maynard will be here giving a wine. And I was just like, what? He's all about it, man. That's it. That's his thing now. But it's Arizona wine, right? Yeah. Yeah. And Jerome, he's up in Jerome. I know, I know. I, you know, look, I, he, I had him in here, and you know, I wasn't a huge tool guy. We ended up talking about when he worked at a pet store. We talked about parrots for twenty minutes. Wow! But we were talking about magic and art. That he, 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 I think he was. He brought up the fact that it's hard to be a good artist if you don't believe in magic, on some level. Which yeah. I kind of, well, yeah, because it is kind of magic, isn't it? But you're hung up on Jesus. No, not really. It's just a short. It's shorthand mythology. Mm-hmm. It's like everybody knows those stories. And I yeah. grew up. I grew up. In an environment, you know, not my not my specific family, my spe- specific family. In, in Oklahoma and in, in Dallas, you're definitely surrounded by it. Oh yeah, because my my dad's whole side of the family is is super Catholic, and mm. um, so there was that right that side, and you know, my grandmother had us all baptized, but you know, w- there were so many fucking grandkids because yeah. they she had eleven kids, yeah. so. By the time it came around to me, she just kind of like, uh, there's a great story about her. She just baptized me in the kitchen sink with a cigarette in her hand. How, what, <laughs> you know? How was she legitimate? You, it could, any grandma just baptized? Absolutely. I mean, hey, when you are when, when you have like 30 uh, grandchi- grandchildren, yeah. yeah, you just, uh, sure. just get, just get okay. it done. Get the Bible, get the sink. Get it done. So that was the Catholic side? Yeah, that was the Catholic side. And then um, my... Uh, my mom didn't, oddly enough, she grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma, but wasn't raised with any kind of religion. And so she's went to Unitarian church and stuff growing oh, up. Oh, that's pleasant. Yeah, so it's the like, Unitarians. just like, hey, how about compassion? Yeah. So that's kind of where I, where I right. come into. The well, now thing. there's this whole gutted sort of Christianity. It's like the Catholic uh, tradition is so ornate and deep and mm-hmm. dense. And, and then like somewhere in Texas, someone's just sort of like, we don't need all that shit. We just need Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I definitely grew up with, you know, with a lot of religiosity around that I, you know, I felt like it wasn't the kind of thing that you bring up, you know, people just kind of assume, oh, you're, you're white and you're lower middle class or middle class, Mm -hmm. you are a Christian. Right. It's just what you are. That's what happens. In Texas. In Texas. Yeah. Yeah, Like even a couple of girls from my school who were jewish converted you know converted to christianity just to just to kind of like fit in you know oh the past there's a lot of you know there's just a lot of assumption you know about about uh belief and and i remember being in like seventh grade and i had a good friend who's such a sweetheart really sweet person good Mm -hmm. person and um for my birthday she got me a teen study bible and so i started kind of thumbing through it you know skimming <laughs> yeah. skimming it you know next yeah. to like bertrand russell and <laughs> right sure martin amos essays like yeah. ah, okay <laughs> this is cool and so i had some questions i was like well what about because it was more the evangelical bent and right. i was like well okay so what happens you know for people who've never heard about jesus mm-hmm. and i was like well they're going to hell that's you it. know, that's yeah, it. it was like, what happens to animals? Do animals have a soul? Where are they? You know, they're going to hell yeah. if they don't. You know, if this, if the dog doesn't find Jesus, <laughs> straight to hell. That? Yes. And then probably there was that moment where you're like, well, hell, how bad could it be? Yeah. <laughs> like, hey, <laughs> people who don't know about God and, and animals. Yeah, there. The, the puppies. Yeah. Whatever. Hell is full Sounds, of puppies. Yeah. <laughs> and the, <laughs> Hell is for puppies. That's a let's make that shirt. <laughs> but you were never like because I find that you know when I think about it now, like I'm you know I'm 50 and I, I'm you know I've talked about it on stage a lot about belief and everything. I get it. 
you know, I get why it must be comforting to believe. Mm-hmm. But if you weren't brought up with it, after a certain point, it's like, no, that's a, quite a leap. Yeah. You got to, you know, the, the shit has got to gone pretty bad. <laughs> to get to that point of desperation where you're like, I don't know where else to turn, but to magic. Yeah, I yeah, no, I'm with you. So do you, are, do you consider yourself a spiritual person though in any way? I mean, no, no, no. I mean, I don't. You know, you shop at Whole Foods. Well, on tour. Yeah, yeah. I don't. You, you know. got some hippie in you. Uh, in the sense of like, I deal, I deal with. I make my living like creating right. castles in the sky yeah, out yeah. of you know. Yeah ether so yeah yeah, of course Mm -hmm. and i have you know i have a sense of that that being compassionate is the best way to be you know like that you know david foster wallace Kenyon college things yeah yeah, okay yeah yeah Yeah, there you go you know that that kind of sums it up there's a blueprint yeah yeah so you know when when did you start playing guitar i was 12 yeah yeah and what kind of guitar was it uh First, I got a like a three quarter classical guitar, which the I thought nylon? was the nylon string. Yeah, the little thought, one. Yeah, I thought it was so late. Like I really, it was one of those things, you know, when your your parent is being so because we didn't have a lot of money growing right. up. My mom and stepdad, but what did he do? Uh, like he was he had some kind of job. He's like a I like these vague jobs. He's in well, <laughs> he's an engineer mm. for a, a long time. You know, like a when just a really bright guy knows everything about history um and then we moved to dallas and he immediately lost his job somehow yeah i don't remember what like procter and gamble i don't remember what it was but um he uh so he was doing kind of odd jobs for a few years and then he started a i mean i guess it's like a kind of a, a low rent tax business oh okay Strip. I don't even know if he's a CPA. Like, strip, I don't even know. Strip, if he's like, like a strip mall tax business? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And your mom, how many uh, siblings did you have in the immediate world? In the immediate, uh, my mom had three girls. I was the youngest of three girls. With all but the same pop? Yeah. And what'd they end up doing? Um, They're amazing. Yeah. They're my best friends. Yeah. Really? Yeah. All of them? You guys hang out and laugh? They're, they're mm. fucking rad. They're, they're, they're wonderful people. Um, You got nieces and nephews and things? Yeah, I got that. So I'm sp- I spend a lot of time in Texas where they are. Just Texas. To- yeah. You know, I, I've grown to like Texas. Like I, I talk about that other show a lot about the South and everything. Like how, like I, I was adverse to it because mm-hmm. it's easy to judge. But, uh, yeah. but it's, it's, but Texas is really its own thing, man. I fucking love it. Yeah. It's, there's nothing not to love. I it, love it. You, when you grow up in New Mexico and you ski and you do things recreationally, you grow to despise Texans mm-hmm. because they're always there over equipped. Uh, with the you know gaudy outfits and cars and Classic. stuff, yeah, and just sort of like loud, and it's sort of like Ugh, go back, go back to Texas. But uh, the more I go there, just the the spaces of the place, and also the fact that it does have its own thing, and it it is sort of initially annoying how people are are the pride, the Texan pride is an annoying thing. Mm-hmm. But then you realize like, well, there's nothing like it really. You know, Texas is. It's I mean, a, they've got some draconian shit going on with, politically, yeah. but it's a wonderful place. What about it? I don't. It, Other than it's home, you know, like I, in interviews and stuff, I often get asked about like, well, what's it? What's it? Especially overseas, because Texas is sort of Look both down. maligned and exotic. Yeah, so, right. I, you know, there's just something character character also you know what people are down to earth 
I think that's true. People are down to earth. There's no even if somebody has money or doesn't have money or whatever you treat everybody the same way or at least that's my my experience of it well i think also like i see it in the south too there's a they're down to earth but there's a there's a politeness Mm -hmm. they may be down to earth but there's a lot unsaid generally speaking right yeah yes (laughs) and 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 you grow to appreciate well i appreciate you being polite because i know that there's something else going on in there (laughs) there's definitely some judgment happening and i appreciate your down-to-earth capacity to not dump that on me (laughs) <laughs> and just go talk about me at home with your family. <laughs> There's that Annie is the she's a little weird, yeah, yeah. but they're not. <laughs> but they're not going to do that to your face. Nope. Uh, thank you. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Well, all right. So you're playing guitar at twelve, and you got your little nylon string guitar, mm-hmm. and you're you're learning how to play guitar so it doesn't hurt your fingers. Mm-hmm. And uh, I traded up pretty quick, though. I traded up for an electric guitar. What, what was your first electric guitar? It was a PV Raptor, mm-hmm. and it was one of those like hundred fifty dollar. It's in the case with the you get the gig bag and the little cord and mm-hmm. the and the amplifier. The little PV amplifier, yeah, like the little one. Yeah, where it, and it has a button on it that says lead, and it's just like the most hellacious. <laughs> yeah, yeah, distortion. Fun, so distortion sound. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, what were you listening to at twelve? Um, you know, at 12, I was obsessed with Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Steely Dan, Jethro Tull, mm. Led Zeppelin, yeah. Jimi Hendrix. Right. So Good sort mix. of like a Good weird, mix. yeah, it's like a weird cross section of like How old my, are you? Do you say that? Yeah, I'm, th- I'm, I'll be, I'm 31. I'll be 32 pretty soon. So you're young. So that was all yeah. happening. I've been on the road for like 10 years. I don't, I mean, I feel- All Right, so you're beat up. Fine. I feel Peter Pan, like, I don't feel old but, by any means, but I'm just like- But yeah, but like, like just to, like contextually, like Nirvana was happening. I mean, some of that stuff was happening when you were 12 or 13. Absolutely. Right. It was happening before, you know, was, right. I was nine when Nevermind came out. And oh, really? 10 when Pearl Jam 10 came out. I was on the Lower East Side and wondering how the world had changed. It was weird when Nevermind came out. You're just walking around and everywhere you just heard, you know, Teen Spirit and you're like, what the fuck just happened? Yeah. Like, well, everything's different now. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. I don't know if anything will ever feel like that again. It will. You think so? If you let it, Sure. Yeah. It's harder to find music. But I mean, that kind of sea change that, like, you know, what happened in my school was that everybody who was wearing polo shirts and a, you know, a a conservative haircut was wearing a Nirvana t-shirt and a flannel. Went to the flannel, grow the hair out a little bit. Yeah, exactly. They made it okay. But it was instant. It was overnight. Yeah. High school changed for everybody. There was a new, there was a new click on the quad. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Yeah. So punk rock wasn't on the peri- it wasn't in your lexicon that at that time. Not at twelve, not at, at twelve. Yeah. I was like, you know, I just was so tall. That's I was in the classic rock. You know, nothing wrong with that. I was just there. That's where my brain was. Well, that's where you take in. I just was realizing that last night. I made this uh, CD for um, for my show, mm-hmm. and it, it's amazing how. Like your musical taste, I mean, wh- where else are you going to get it unless you got some weirdo in your family who's going to be like, hey, have you ever heard The Residents? Exactly. And, you know, you need one of those people. But even now, since I've gotten back into vinyl, there's just so much music that I have no fucking idea, man. How are you going to know yeah. that it's all out there yeah. unless some weirdo guides you? And that's the thing. I mean, that's eventually when I was a little bit older, you know, 13, 14, my mom used to drive me to the CD store. Yeah. And you just play the game of trying to impress the guy sure. behind the counter. Yeah. That guy's very important. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, next thing you know, you're, you know, 
here you try to like Zappa and you, you know like <laughs> that's a, that should be a memoir I'm trying to I'm like really Zappa I'm really trying I'm really trying who is that guy at the CD store you know what it's funny it, it's life kind of circles around but he he his name is Chris Penn and he ended up being the tour manager of slash I don't know co-manager or something of the polyphonic spree he was what yeah he was that dude who was like hey check out god solex check out chibamato check out buy this sonic youth record when blah, you were blah, blah. Tw- 13 yeah 13 14 hey that's amazing and that was out, in dallas that was in dallas hey what about nick cave hey, thank god for that guy check out pj harvey all that all that stuff oh like do you realize how important he was he's massively important I, that I have to say, not to bring up age, but I, at this point in life, I keep looking back and just going like, thank God for my high school theater teacher who made us read the New York Times every week. Like, thank God for Chris Penn, who right. hipped me to all this shit that I just wouldn't have, it wasn't on the airwaves. So I Even your old man. Thank yeah, God for Martin absolutely. Amos. Yeah, no, love love my pops. Yeah. You know? That, but those guys are, are are amazing, and he and he ended up well because Polly they're from Austin, right? They're Dallas. Texan. They're Dallas. They're, oh, they're all Dallas. Mm-hmm. So it was all right there. Yeah. But you didn't know them when you were in high school. No, because I was younger. I I I mean the I knew Tripping Daisy, which was the band, right? That the Polyphonic Spree kind of. Because they were around. Yeah, I saw Tripping Daisy, you know, play at Trees, you know, seven times or whatever. Trees. Do you remember that place? Well, they, I, whoa, I do, I do remember that place. I think I did a show there. You did comedy possible? at Trees. Yes, it's it's a. I mean, it, there is a giant pillar right in the middle of the audience. It's like the worst design. I think place. I did do that when yeah. I was touring with. Who was I with? What was I doing? A live WTF or something? But yeah, I was there. I was at that place. It's like a, a, a famous place. Yeah. Was there when you were in high school? Yeah. Before you, that, yeah. And they had all ages shows? Or you don't remember? Mm, I don't remember. I, I don't remember if I had to finagle my way in or not. So you were a theater girl in high school? I did. I did. Th- it made me so nervous. It made me so nervous. I hate it. Like, it was one of those things that I... I I loved it, but I hated it because I didn't like to be on stage. But I loved, you know, hearing about Stanislavski, and it was also kind of like, it was also the aside from marching band, which is its own. You didn't do that. No, I did jazz band. Yeah, yeah. You play guitar in the jazz band. I did in high school poorly. Right? Can you read music? No, you can't. Uh Uh-uh. I mean, I can like sound it. It's like you know, first grade level, like sound it out. But you riff pretty heavy on the guitar because like, I was listening to your songs. Like it, it, with all the uh, you know, the other stuff going on, I can hear the you know. There's some pretty beefy riffs under there. There's riffage, yeah. yeah <laughs> <laughs> I found it. I was like, oh, I wonder if that's her and that weird sounding guitar. Is it usually? It's always me. I know every. I've never. I'm the only one who's ever played guitar on my records. That's like I feel a little bit like, you know. I mean, there are guitar players who I love who I'd love to play with at some point, but right. But it's weird because it's the music you're making is not guitar music per se. No, but it's in there, and you make it sound different. You know, you you, you like you're not you like to make the noises on the guitars or make it distorted a bit. And totally, I just look at it like a noisemaker. You do, yeah. Was it always that way, or was there a no. time where you're like, no? You know, my uncle's this um, finger style, a brilliant jazz guitar player named Tuck Andrus, and mm-hmm. he's. You know, he's like a one-man symphony on on the guitar. Plays these old Gibson L5s and and is just a master. Like 
literal master of his craft. Um, and so I started touring with them and uh, was their tour manager for a little while. What, how old like, were you then? Um, I was 16 the first time I like... You were a tour manager at 16? Well, they worked me into it. You know, I had small jobs at first. And then by the time I was 20, I would, you know, go out on tour with them in Europe for five weeks. and Really? I, yeah, I'd have to... And they're so meticulous, like... We we were basically flying every day. There was no sleep. I've never been more tired than when I was tour managing them because um, they just what worked was their, their band asses or off. It, how many were in the, it? The Tuck and Patty. It's a duo. It's just them. And he plays and she sings, or how's it work? Mm-hmm. He plays and she sings, and, uh, and they have a following. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they had a they they had a big record in the early nineties, um, late eighties, early nineties on Wyndham Hill Records, mm-hmm. and um. So they were kind of a spectral part of my childhood. They were just like the heroes in the mist until I was 15 and 16 and they saw that I was interested, you know, in music and wanted to kind of God, show you me the got, ropes. You got lucky with grown-ups. Totally. Because, I mean, like, you, like given where you come from, it could have gone a different direction. Oh, my God. I could. <laughs> I remember when I moved back from, you know, I'd moved back from New York. Um, the first time when I really could only afford to stay there for like six weeks and I moved back and my sister my older sister was trying to be totally supportive and sweet I'd move back in with my parents she was like well why don't you just get a job at Starbucks and try to you know save up some money I was like oh (laughs) but you knew you wanted to do it though right yeah yeah so like it was never going to be that it was never going to be that no it's hard to explain what the hell that is that inner commitment to expressing yourself and committing to it as opposed to just sort of like, yeah, that'll never happen. Like that that switch. Yeah. It's weird because you, you can't learn that. It's got to be something you're driven to. It's just there. You can't it's, have a plan uh, B. No, exactly. Yeah. But you don't even think of it. Exactly. That's the weird thing that people don't get. Like it, there are people that are sort of like, well, I better take care of this. But people who are like us, you're like, I, I don't know. Yeah. That's not even like, I can't even imagine it. Yeah. Thank God. Again, I said, thank God. We don't, we're don't. we on the fence about it. Praise him. Yeah, Just sure. praise him. Hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> Can I get a witness? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's let's go through it because it's a pretty interesting trajectory here. So you're running around Europe with your uncle, mm-hmm. amazed at his finger picking. Did that, was that daunting to you? Did he teach you tricks? Did he teach you how to play guitar? Uh, we didn't have a lot of formal lessons. I watched him. And then I kind of developed my own finger style because I mostly play finger style. Really? Yeah. I play a lot with a pick now, just, you know, depending on the song. But I'm, I used to just be like trying to be a finger style, not exactly jazz guitar player, but, you know, kind of funk, funky uh-huh. yeah, thing. Right. Um, so, yeah, that's where I am. Mean, and so you're running around these clubs in Europe and you're, you're backstage and what, what are your tasks uh, well, did you tune the guitars? I didn't. Yeah, I did do that. I my job was ev- after every flight, I would go and take the gear. You know, he had like a rack gear, the kind of thing. Uh-huh. I would take it. I would have the the VU, the voltage meter. I would test it. Uh-huh. I would make sure that it was working after the flight. That it didn't get knocked around. And then it would. I would go to the sound check and I would set it up and I would make sure there were towels and water and whatever they needed backstage. I would interface with the club. Um, You're I like would, a kid. Yeah. I mean, you know, I would make sure there were fresh flowers here. If the room, if we checked into the room and it was shitty, uh-huh. and you go down and say, hey, listen, it's, it's too smoky or whatever. Yeah. It's moldy. We need yeah. another room. 
Um, what else? Like uh, sometimes I, one time in Italy, I had to just kind of get up in somebody's face who was being so inappropriate. Mm. Um, How so? Just was it? She was a reporter, and she was super pushy and an italian is, a pushy italian go imagine figure. Huh. imagine yeah and but it was a funny situation because you know what it's like i'm not well actually i am curious so mm. when you're out there gigging mm-hmm. do you have time to see people before after shows yeah. are you a hermit or do no, you no I'll, I'll talk to everybody you talk so you don't need that like hour before the gig to get centered and do now sometimes thing. i'll actually wander around in the audience yeah before i go on and just shoot the shit with people. Not really. Sometimes I'll just kind of look around. Like I, there's some part of me that's sort of like you know I don't want there to be this uh, this weird transition to stage. I don't want I, I don't want a fourth wall at all. Yeah. So I like to kind of like just be present around when they're coming in or just kind of in the back of the room. And if people see me, they'll be like, "Hey," and I'm like, "What's up?" And that is super like, fascinating. Have you ever had? really inappropriate like interactions with people today no yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah, i mean give it time yeah like how like um i don't know somebody just coming up to you and and being shitty well not really shitty it's hard to read people sometimes but generally if they're at my show and they're there to see me or they 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 usually come knowing a lot about me because of the podcast and you know they do have a relationship with me and i have to honor that as much as i can without it but sometimes that can get a little odd because they do know me and I don't know them at all. And, I, and I'm and i not that good with boundaries. So mm-hmm. a lot of times I'll just sort of like, yeah, sure, man. You know, what's up? And they'll tell me stories and stuff. But not to, like sometimes if people don't know me in comedy, like you get a sense of like, uh, you can read a room or you think you can where you're sort of mm-hmm. like, well, that table is going to be trouble. Mm-hmm. There's a bunch of bros over there and they seem a little, you know, shit-faced already. But a lot of times you're wrong and, you know, I, but not too inappropriate, no. Mm-hmm. I've had experiences in my life where people have done shit, come on stage or yelled stuff. It happens. Yeah. Yeah. Why? What, what are you referring to? No, nothing. I was just, I was actually just curious because... I, I don't know. I wondered, like, what's what's your process like to, well, to you, per- get perform? And it's it's in, it's interesting that you, instead of needing that, like, oh, I just have to kind of zero in and focus. You I actually wish, need to be around people and kind of warm like it up it. that way. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Yeah, I like having people around. I don't know what the hell I would do with that hour. You know, I don't take that hour any other point in my life. You know, with mm-hmm. preparation. You know, I don't like. Uh, I like it to be sort of uh, raw and as intimate as possible. And yeah. I don't know what's going to happen. But now, as I get older, it's like that's a little emotionally exhausting. I'd like to uh, just go up there with an outfit and an instrument, and <laughs> you know what I mean. It's like, and not uh, this is what I'm presenting you. That's all you're getting. Yeah, is what I'm presenting you. I don't need to, you know. I hope you like it. I'm not relying on you for my emotional sustenance. I've created this art. Take it. Do you rely? I mean, obviously, you have to have the feedback of people laughing or clapping or whatever it is. But do you rely on like is a big part of your self worth tied to, you know, oh, I killed last night or fuck it went I bombed last night? Like, do you ride that emotional roller coaster? Or do you have a, a little? It's not not a per laugh thing. It's a, just a connection thing. You know, if I feel connected or if the room feels connected or or something happens that wouldn't have happened any other time i seem to rely a lot on that like uh, to get to a place of vulnerability where i don't know really what's going to happen i like that Mm -hmm. it's not the most sellable 
uh, trait. It's like, How yeah. do you mean it's not the most sellable trait? Well, I mean, it's sort of like, uh, what do you do? Well, I just get up there and I hope I get open enough for something to happen. Uh, that sounds like a great show. What if he doesn't get that open? Well, I got other stuff. But well, for me, you but, know. But is it, uh, I mean, because often there's such a chasm between the your the objective or the audience's reaction or feeling towards a show and your own subjective feeling about a show. I mean, it's I'm sure it's happened for you that you walk off stage and you're like, oh, my God, that was the worst. And then and yeah. then people people come up after and yeah. they say that was or you have a friend you trust who's like, well, are you kidding? You killed. Right. And, and the inverse is true. Well, that's why I've, I've learned to keep my mouth shut because my perception and this is something that's really on me lately is like, I, I don't know if it, what what bearing it has on reality. My mm-hmm. perception, it's a faulty bit of business, Do, you know, because like, all I'm carrying is this you know baggage of my own wiring. So I don't know what the hell anyone else feels or, you know, what experience they had. And a lot of times uh, if you if you respond out loud to your perception, you're going to deny someone their experience. Yep. Yeah. You feel that? Yeah. I mean, I saw. Yes, I do. But I also saw a show recently where somebody started the entire show with an apology. And I was just like, man, that's such a cop out. Like, yeah. I mean, it's one thing. Like what form? Like, well, you know, I'm not feeling it tonight or like I had to, my dog died this morning. Or... It was like a little bit of a, it wasn't, it was like kind of part music, part mm. kind of dance kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I don't want to call anybody out, but no, it I was, know. you know, but it, you know, this person walked up on stage and said, oh, I'm sorry. You know, you, you probably are wondering why the hell you bought this ticket. And I, I was just like. Yeah. No, like, no, it's one thing to be afraid or it's one thing to be self-effacing, but that actually is just this weird convoluted self-aggrandizing thing where you're, you're, you're letting yourself off the hook if it's bad. Yeah, right. But then you've completely disallowed and then the audience feels somehow guilty or bad if they enjoy it. Yeah, or else they're, they're sort of like, well, or else you could, you know, kind of program the audience to immediately say like, well, why'd we come tonight? You know, yeah. maybe tomorrow, we should have come tomorrow. Like what? Sh- like when people ask you that, what show should we see, Friday or Saturday? Like, I don't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, my my thing is like, I don't know what I rely on them for anymore. I, I'm, I'm a little better at accepting, um, you know, that they like me. Mm-hmm. I couldn't really accept that. And before. a lot of them like you. I love you. I love this podcast. Well, thanks. Yeah. But like, uh, like when I perform, like I seem like last night I went up and I'm just doing these workshop shows and, and I know a lot of people had, had come to see me do them before. What does that mean? A workshop? You're well, the way I write material, out? like I, I just do a small theater and I just give the theater the money and it's like an $8 ticket and I just kind of ramble through an hour of shit that I'm trying to figure out. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd rather do it there than in a comedy club and just sort of get my people. But like a lot of them have been coming to them, so they know the shit as I as I work it out. And I and I asked last night how many have seen this and and how many haven't. And it was about half and half. So now I'm like, well, what am I going to do for the people that have seen me work this shit out before, mm-hmm. and and still honor the people that have, since haven't seen any of it, but also give the people that that have seen some of it something else. So like I put myself in a mental position, like hopefully I can take some emotional risks. That's I think that's what I get off on. It's mm-hmm. kind of menacing, mm-hmm. you know, to sort of like you know get that open, go somewhere I haven't gone before, and it's not a matter of improvising like characters or like, but it's literally training a thought, kind of like chasing something down and and being open enough to to try to get at it, but also if like you come up short, being able to go like no oh, that again yeah <laughs> yeah totally. 
I, I don't mind that. I like totally. having the comfort to do that. I don't know if it's something you would do at Carnegie Hall because that's sort of the difference between doing like an oddball fest. Like I've spent 10 years trying to get more intimate and then all of a sudden it's like, well, you got to perform for 15,000, yeah. <laughs> you, you know, and then you got to be like, well, I got to know the shit. What am I going to do? The punchline better be strong so I can pace myself and, you know, be a professional, but it's not satisfying. It's not satisfying. It's not as satisfying. That's interesting. It's a different thing. It's like, well, I'm glad I managed to, I, I'm glad I have that skill. You know, I can do a good 15, 20 minutes in front of 15,000 people. I don't see how I'm going to use that skill a lot, but I'm proud of myself. I probably would have fallen apart 10 years ago. Absolutely. But I mean, what, but with somebody like you who has such you know specific orchestration of pieces, I mean, what is the reward for you in a live performance? Well, kind of what you're talking about this, I often, on guitar, mm -hmm. on guitar mostly, I will often reach for things that either... I don't know what it's going to sound like when my fingers get there because I don't, I, it's not, I am good at the guitar, but I'm not so masterful that the magic is gone. Like I sometimes go, oh, I don't know what that note's going to be. Maybe the, oh, okay. And so it just becomes this like process of discovery uh -huh. and going out on a limb and not knowing if you're going to land it. Like I've, right. you know, I've played some shows where I've like, joked with the band afterward like oh my god i'm so sorry about that guitar solo like you know there was one particular run of shows where i had gotten really into albert king and i was like wow i was just, just playing with him today no way i just play i play, i've been playing with albert king every morning for the last week no way that's what i'm doing that is so cool it's fucking weird and he does those bends that you're like wow yeah. you know where they are right you getting them no but I was trying. Uh -huh. But what what happened was I just went, I just sort of for a, a couple shows just went into this like sort of hackneyed jam band hellhole. <laughs> you know? You, kept, you mean you just kept like, the band going? Like, 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 yeah, yeah let's go. Soloing. Yeah, I'm still soloing. And just like, no, like, no, no. That was, that was a bad experiment. But, you know. So, all right. So you're touring around with your... Uncle, and then like you want to be a professional musician. What was the first band? The first, uh, well, I played in a lot of bands in in high school and like college. What, like what were you playing though? Um, when I was at like an eighth grader, I was playing bass in like a metal band, like Pantera, um, Maiden. Really? Yeah, Metallica. Uh huh. Um, and then I played in. Were you? How did you present yourself? Uh, you know, I presented myself with, um, I had braces and a sweater vest and mm -hmm. sort of high-waisted jeans mm -hmm. that I I think were kind of boot cut. <laughs> uh, and I had long straight hair because everybody had long straight sure. hair. You spend, you know, an mm -hmm. hour straightening it in the morning. And I wore my base up really high. Mm. So, I mean, I was pretty fuckable. I was pretty fuckable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with the bass up yeah, here super high mm -hmm. you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was like a purple ibanez that was iridescent blue if you caught it in the right light wow mm -hmm. and you could you could handle it i can handle well luckily some of those bass lines were pretty yeah 
there there weren't a lot of notes like mm-hmm. in the maiden stuff. There's not a lot of notes. Right. My ex uh, wife was a, a big maiden fan. We went to see them at uh, I think at the Hollywood Bowl. Maybe was or, it incredibly entertaining? Well, I'm, I you know I wasn't a metal guy really, but you know I've gotten more into it now. Like mm-hmm. like uh, since I gotten into vinyl, I, I've sort of like started picking up on all the Sabbath and you know that stuff, and and I, I get it. Like I like that one song by Maiden, but it becomes a little. I don't, it's not, it, it doesn't, that type of guitar playing doesn't equate to soulful guitar playing for me. Yeah. It's just not the way I, I hear no, I'm guitar. No, I'm it's with a, you. a little too mathematical for me. Like, I'm good friends with Brendan Small, and he's a real noodler, but, you know, he's a pretty varied guitar player. But there's something detached about guys who are wizards mm. on that instrument. You know, they can do everything so easily, and it's sort of like, you can't, it's not, you're not allowed to do that that effortlessly. Right. Pretend like it's taking <laughs> something out of you, would you? You don't get paid per note. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. It's so, well, that's impressive. So you're metal. Mm-hmm. And then you, you did some other things. Yeah, I was like, I was in a noise band in college called the Skullfuckers, which was just, it was actually this really cool songwriter uh, who was, it was really pol- polvo-y, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and if you weren't like bleeding by the end of the set, then you hadn't played a good set. So you were sort of like, you were at least tapped into that performance art rock thing. Like you knew it. Yeah. Yeah. I loved it. And I loved all the like riot girl stuff. Yeah. I discovered that in my late teens and, and big black and the yeah. kind of Steve Albini Chicago world. Yeah. yeah. I saw him at the rat in Boston when I was in college. Oh he, yeah. It was him performing. Really? Yeah. It wasn't shellac or it wasn't. Well, maybe it was, but oh, okay. it, he was fronting it. Like, and I, 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 I recall that cause I, I met a woman there with a black mohawk and she sort of changed my life. Really? It was at a Steve Albini show. How'd she change your life? I don't know. She was just tough. And, uh, you know, and we ended up hanging out for, you know, I'm still kind of friends with her. She was a welder and a sculptor and just like this tank of a girl. Wow. When she was just like from New Jersey and had a chip on her shoulder. And uh, I think I, you know, I I think she taught me how to fuck, really. Well, yeah, that helps. (laughs) Do you remember that person, that adult (laughs) in your life? (laughs) Like it was, uh, it was angry, but it, you know, it, 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 it was a lesson. Yeah. Yeah. This isn't about you. I'm not done yet. That's where I learned that. Oh, good. <laughs> I'm glad you learned that lesson, hopefully, early early enough on. <laughs> you got to have those people. Yeah. I mean, those are like, I, I don't, you know, as you get older, it's sort of like you realize just how far you've come when you see people and you're like, did we, and what town were you in? in like, uh, where, where do I know you from? Really? Yeah. Maybe. I'm, I hope you don't have that issue. I don't. Good. Yeah, I don't. I mean, it's. Well, I've a- lived in four different cities over three decades. So, like, if someone comes up to me, I'm like, you're going to have to give me a town. You're going to have to give me a city or a period of time. Oh, I can't. man. I mean, if people even. If you even see somebody out of context, like, oh, I met this person in Cincinnati, and then all of a sudden they're in New York, mm-hmm. you know, oh, and they wow. say, hey, how are you? It's like, I don't. Uh, what? Yeah. You know, it just takes a second. It's yeah. a little process. I mean, yeah. Where? What? All right, so you're playing in bands. So when do you become, when does this Berkeley thing happen? Uh, I moved uh, to Boston when I was 18. I left Texas and went to Berkeley, and I dropped out after like two and a half, three years. But your parents are supportive of your thing, your trip, all the way through? Yeah, I mean, my mom is, uh, my mom, especially because, you know, her brother, Tuck, is a musician. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't like, 
it was a family of doctors and mm-hmm. they said, well, you want a what? I mean, right, right, right. I'm sure they had some, some trepidation, but. Yeah, it's usually just fear of, you know, like, well, what are you going to do if it doesn't work out? Yeah. I mean, that's usually their fear of supportive parents of, of musical or artistic people. It's not that they don't want you to do it. They just don't know how you're going to make a living. Right. But they <laughs> sent you to Berkeley. Yeah, they did. Yeah, yeah. Well, what went wrong there at the at the noodling school? <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I got some things out of it. You know, I like dug deep into, they had a great listening library and I dug deep into a lot of stuff. You like know? what? I mean. What changed you there? Stravinsky. Really? Yeah. That's deep. Yeah. I don't know anything about that stuff. What about classical music in general? Because now that you mention it, I can hear something building in your records. It's a build to it. I have, you know, just enough knowledge to be effective, Mm -hmm. but not too much to get too in my head about it. But there is something um, about the bands you were involved with, with Polyphonic Spree and with um, the one after that. Which one were you in? Sufjan Stevens. Right. Mm-hmm. They, and I hear it more in pop music and I never noticed it because I didn't pay attention to it when it was happening. But I talked to Jack Antonoff in here. Oh, he's a sweetheart. It's great. Lovely guy. But like, uh, you know, when I listen to that fun stuff or even Bleachers, he's sort of a very talented guy, that guy. But, um, but there is something that comes from Polyphonic Spree that's sort of big. It's like, you know, it's massive. It's a massive sound, but then if you really track it back to classical, I mean, that's all of it. My artistic trajectory has been slightly one of of editing mm-hmm. and getting more, like just going, oh, is this absolutely necessary? Because if I wanted, I could fill up every second with a melodic idea or- a, you Do know, you I, want to? No, mm-hmm. I don't. I just- Do you fight that though? Well, I mean, I do in the sense that I I could mm-hmm. I you know I have you know oh I, this this melody could go here and this could go over that and then da 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 um, but eventually I mean I just want to write great songs I just want to be a good songwriter and so it's always kind of a balancing act between trying to trying to do that and then also you know merge it with some of the other yeah the how's other the, how's techie the, stuff how's the song start when you're writing uh all number of ways i uh because like i i don't know how to write songs you don't not really i listen to songs but i'm not, I've, I've always i've never been like a, a word guy innately really I, yeah. you're a comic yeah but i just like music like a lot of times like there's songs i've listened to all my life and i don't know what the fuck they're saying it's so interesting how many people t- just don't listen to lyrics no i i don't know why yeah, I does mean, it upset you? You mad? At not me? at all. I mean, like I listen to your lyrics because I'm focusing. I want to know what you're thinking, and so I paid attention. And still, like you know, I don't know where they come from, songs, and I don't know like the how people commit to certain songs. But they're great songs. But it's like if I looked at it on paper, I'd be like, Nah, I'm not gonna do that. Really? Yeah, I do. I just like I don't know. I, I guess well, I'm not a fucking musician. I'm not a songwriter. So like, there's something about like you can't like you can't just be clever. Uh, like, you know, I listen to country songs or blues songs. They're very simple, but you're doing something elevated. There's some poetics to it. And there's, you know, they're vague enough to Im- uh, create emotions without really knowing what the hell it's about. I mean, that's the real gift to it. I mean, it's like, you know, you're conveying feelings and, you know, and I can feel them. But if I were to sit there and look at the words, you not unlike poetry, you'd be like, what is this about? 
Where's she coming from? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the that must be the joy of discovery and writing. Is that like you know you're putting things together, you're having feelings, you're having impulses, even if they're based on an event or you know a, a relationship or a friend or whatever, they have to remain somewhat not unlike poetry, vague enough to convey feelings about everything to everybody. Yeah, you have to leave enough room for right. people to put themselves in. Right. So and you're aware of that. Yeah. Yeah. And but also, you know, you just have to rely on the fact it's the same thing that I, I'm sure you rely on, which is that so much of experience is just universal. So even if you kind of do pull a law and order and change the details, right? Still, the the, the story resonates. Or sometimes it's not even about. It's not even about some literal narrative story that you have to follow to right. the end. It's just like, oh, there's something about the sound of this word right. and this um, melody that is evocative. And right. like, that's the magic. That, right. I mean, I don't know. I don't know why it is. But if, if, if you just kind of have to trust that if you're, you're feeling but something, like, then you, other people will. Right. So like even like I'm trying to think of what song on the, the new record like, kind of got me. What's Prince Johnny about? Prince Johnny. Yeah, that started out as a short story. Yeah. I didn't have any music for it. Right. Um, it was just words. Um, and it was it's sort of a, like, kind of a composite of a bunch of people. And one specific person uh, in mind, but then sort of details taken from other other parts of this, like, downtown New York, yeah. like, music. Right free queer right. scene yeah that's what and, I felt yeah, felt all those things yeah and you know wild there's a little wild darkness nights. to it yeah 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 I mean the there's that you know everybody has that impulse to self-destruct and it becomes clearer when you when you sort of see it in someone else you go like oh, I want to save you I can't save you I'm not even the person to save you because I'm insane too you know yeah but you don't strike me as the kind of person that's gonna let it go let it let what go all of it self-destruct not i've had some dark i've had some dark ones but i no i don't think i'll kill myself is that what you mean sort of i mean but just lose control of it yeah yeah i mean like any you know red-blooded american i've considered suicide well no but i mean just like you know self-destruct to me that you know when you when when your lifestyle is one that is gambling with that um a lot of times people can't stop it but but to some people it's a romantic uh venture so you know but some people have that and it's not it's sort of a curse but it's a gift um and and there are people on the sidelines that are like are concerned but envious mm. do you for, forgive me but are are you sober or did you i'm sober yeah. you're sober yeah yeah for like 15 years yeah yeah congratulations oh, i knew that i just it wasn't i wasn't totally certain because i thought we walked past your yeah in your kitchen and i saw a glass of champ like a bottle of champagne i was like oh that's mm. uh i think that's cider or something this is it like a it was swag from that like, was. I, I have like i'll have a couple beers in the fridge if you know you wanted a beer you could have a beer tell me more <laughs> <laughs> i don't generally offer no it. but no no i mean but you know it's it's a funny it's a funny thing i've been thinking i've been thinking a lot about this as of late because i stopped looking at the internet I stopped, you know, except for checking my email and mm-hmm. answering 
calls and you know calling my mama or whatever mm-hmm. you know call my sisters and but I stopped like looking at this is maybe shameful but I stopped looking at news I stopped looking at um you know culture sites mm-hmm. I just stopped mm-hmm. I read a book I read the New Yorker. I answer my, you know, business emails. And there's something that has happened in the past, I want to say three weeks that, and I don't know if these things are correlated, but I suspect that they are. I'll be somewhere. I'll be, you know, I'll be at a party and end up talking to the New York City cop who's, uh, you know, guarding a velvet rope table full of assholes, you know, Mm -hmm. and I just start talking to this guy and he's awesome mm-hmm. and he has the best stories and it's just people have been kind of giving me their life stories as of late and I don't know if it's something in me that's changed where people think hey this is a person who's receptive and I don't I don't and it's not like a you know a, uh, I'm not naive it's not like they're you know flirting with me mm-hmm. and they're we're just talking yeah. you know I had talked to the guy who was um I was in Miami yesterday talked to the driver for the hour to the to the hotel and we just had a really beautiful moment. He told me all about his life and his son passed away two years ago. And, you know, it's just, I think these things are correlated because usually I would be, oh, what's, what's going on in the, you know, let me check phone. out the New York Times. And I just stopped. And I, I am, I feel like crazy, this like crazy new kind of compassion and connectivity with the world and with people that I think I just didn't, I wasn't as open to before somehow. And I don't know what changed, but. Well, it's all very self-involved. I, I, you know, in the sense that you can constantly distract yourself with something and feel like you're doing something beneficial. Yeah. But a, a lot of times it just distances you. It's sure it makes complete sense. But I mean, when you deal with people getting back to like the self-destructive thing and the, the heartbreaking story of like in music, I mean, God knows, I mean, if you've, if you've been at it for, you know, if you've been on the road for 10 years, you see the toll it takes on some artists and you see the, you know, that some people get lost. Yeah, it's easy to get lost. Yeah. It is. But you've never been a person that's like, kind of like, oh God, I got to pull back. I got to check in. I got to. No, because I mean, sometimes, you know, because I, I have um like a really rad group of girls on tour, like yeah. my bandmate Toko and my uh, production assistant Rachel and lighting lady Suzanne who was with Nirvana and Sonic Youth yeah. and Stereo Lab and it's just a, kind of a she's rad seen it. she's a rad veteran she rules mm. but like occasionally we'll be like I don't know should we housewife and it's 3pm and it's like yeah let's have some white wine yeah. so I mean there's, that's it yeah that's like that but you know 3 p.m. to 2 a.m. Like right, you're right. still drinking oh, right, for sure. 11 hours, sure. That's you know. A, so yeah, yeah. full-on extreme housewifing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but but the thing is, you live in such ambient spaces. You're like you travel. You, you travel, and it's not like I spent. I've been in five, four cities in five days that are completely unrelated to one another: New York, Miami, Dallas, Los Angeles. Yeah, and it's like. I'm existing in the ether. I don't, sometimes I don't want to be fully present for that. Right. That's the. For the travel. Yeah. I don't want to be, you know. You just want to see the stage and get on. Yeah. How's how's your following? Good? 
Yeah, I think it's great. I mean, I you pull in crowds. Yeah, I think I have really nice fans. What do you? What? How they? What's the breakdown? What do you see out there when you look out there? Who are they? It's pretty varied, which makes me really happy. And you think this new album has done a lot of it, or no? I think this new album it definitely you know took me to some different level, but it's hard for me to know these things because I'm just living it. I'm just in it. What about your relationship with David Byrne? Oh, I love him. How did that happen? Uh, we met at a charity thing um, in 2009. He came up and he told me that he liked my video for Actor Out of Work. And then we saw each other at another charity thing a couple nights later. And for this... Co- in uh, New York. Yeah. Housing, housing Works is a bookstore. Yeah, I know charity. You know it. Yeah. Yeah. And so we were watching Bjork and the Dirty Projectors do a night of like original music. And they raised a bunch of money for charity. And it was great. So the Housing Works people asked us if we wanted to do it. And we said, sure. And we started writing. And then writing you know five you know five songs ended up writing an album ended up being you know a year and a half of tour yeah i i listened to it and like i i loved him you know and i and i sort of like there was a time in my life where i i listened to all the stuff and even the more abstract stuff you know Mm -hmm. Catherine wheel and and the bush of ghosts and all that like i was in it that's a great record yeah yeah i mean i was in i'm a big you know head and uh It's it's interesting to hear like you know listen to your solo stuff and then listen to what you two do to each other because it's a, it's a little different but it's the same world in a way but he's a he's not as complicated as you are it seems as complicated yeah really yeah it seems like there's like like it seems it's weird about Burn it's like he's just a groove guy in some ways yeah he's very buoyant yeah yeah and there's a bounce to it but it, it's like it, it there's simplicity to it kind of always. And did you find that, what did you do to each other, musically? Hmm. I think probably I brought some melancholy, Mm. and he brought a lot of buoyancy. Right, yeah. And so, and it was also fun to play those shows because we had eight eight brass people on stage and uh you know 12 people total on stage between me and david and the drummer and all that and it made people happy like yeah. i i know it sounds so stupid but i've never i've never like considered like the saint vincent show like making people happy i mean i want it to be an experience i want it to want us to like go somewhere together and all the stuff that you know probably sounds very trippy and and hippy dippy but i want that but i never assume that like people are going to the show to just kind of kick back have some white wine and have a good time like i don't you know i just assume that it it's something people go for a, some other reason Right, to be moved somehow. Somehow. And I don't know if that sounds self-aggrandizing. And like- no, no, I think that, like, you know, there's a tone to people, you know, and I, and I never thought about, but that is what Byrne sort of evolved into. I mean, sort, somewhere after he started listening to Brazilian music, it became this different thing, mm-hmm. you know, and then it was sort of like, come on, let's, you know, clap your hands. Yeah. yeah it was a little easier. Whereas, like, some of the earlier talking head stuff was, like, menacing in a way. Yeah, way more anxiety. In, yeah, right. I mean, just full of, you know, yeah, that, that was, m- yeah. manic street preacher, not the band, but you right. know, the archetype. Um, 
Yeah, I love him. I love him. I'm. Uh, we're gonna. I, I I go see shows with him all the time when I'm in New York, and we just go do art culture, yeah. art culture things just on our bicycles. Well, that's what I had this weird moment w- with him that there was two that I had with him. I don't know him. I think we're probably very different. Um, there was one where I was on a plane with him, and you know he was in first class. It was years ago, and uh, we land in New York. And um, everybody's waiting at the baggage claim. And there's no bags coming out. And then, like, from over at another baggage claim, I just hear some voice go, over here. And I turn around and burn does this with his oh. hand. Like, he waves people over, but it was so Bernie. Yeah, like, there yeah. Was, there, there's something so specific about his movements. I was like, that's amazing. I know. And then there was another time where I was just on the street. I, was, I think I was out in front of Louis' old place in Chelsea. And, and he rode by on his bike. And and he had lights on his bike. Yeah. Right. And there was just something to me where I didn't say anything to him, but I saw it was David Byrne and it registered. And then I just watched the lights kind of yeah. fade away. <laughs> and, and, there, and because it was David Byrne, it had some you know poignant thing to me, the, the minimalism of it. There was an art to it. Absolutely. Just, just the lights on David Byrne's bike fading into the distance. Uh, yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> uptown or downtown or whatever no well, what I, this melancholy thing though you you like i you evoke that because i can feel it and it's something that it's something that bowie does it's something that kate bush does it's something that you know that type of uh like that ether you talk about that that ether seems to be filled with a a, a type of melancholy you like it i just know it and mm-hmm. i just think you can't write about things you don't know mm-hmm. it's not like you have to put down your literal life into every song but is it hard um, for you to have a good time no i'm i'm a fucking laugh riot you're fun girl (laughs) no one of the wonderful things uh about alcohol for me is and not as not i'm not a big a, a horrifying drinker by any means but like you know, some people, like, they have a drink and they get kind of weird mm. and then all this weird dark shit starts coming out. And you're mm-hmm. like, I wish yeah. you hadn't had that yeah. drink. I'm a delightful drunk. Oh, good. Yeah. I'm and just you can happy. manage it. Yeah. Did you have alcohols in your family? Uh, I'm Irish Catholic, so. so, so yeah. It was, it was around. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> you seem like the kind of person that, like, in that kind of environment, either they're going to go boozy or they're going to go like, nah, I'm in control of things. No, it's, no, nobody, I mean, I, uh, I enjoy, I enjoy a, nice. a little white wine. Okay, all house, right. Housewifing. Okay, all right. I don't. And didn't you do a couple, did you do an episode of Portlandia? Yeah, I did. Like just one or two? I did two, three. You like acting? Yeah, I do. Yeah? Yeah, I'm less scared of it than I was in high school. Oh, good. Yeah. And it's different in front of cameras as opposed to a live audience doing Bye Bye Birdie or something. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> and, you know, you got a bunch of creative people around you, so it's nice. Yeah, it's nice. You can do more of that? Maybe. If somebody asked me to, I'd do it. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. Well, you and Kara are your friends, and she's going to rock out soon again, right? It's great. It's um And, like, everybody's killing it. Like yeah. Janet's drumming her ass off. Corin is like nailing it. Carrie's playing the most crazy, awesome outsider art guitar you've ever heard. But like, it's funny with her because um, you know I had she. We've talked before, and we we see each other, and I don't like I knew the band a little bit, but I I, I didn't know it a lot. And we did some event, and I sort of know her as this comedic personality now, and that's sort of my my real experience with her as a person. 
and we did this event for the IFC upfronts and she got up there and it's just a very interesting thing to talk to her but then when you see her put a guitar on you're like oh well that's what that that's what it is mm-hmm. that's what's supposed to be happening mm-hmm. you know like she it lives on her you know like it's just organic thing yeah do you guys jam yeah we have jammed like just jam out do your yeah. albert king licks yeah i do <laughs> no actually we've we've jammed um she, she has a little like you know they have a little rehearsal room yeah and what i think usually works best cuz she's such a cool extemporaneous guitar player yeah um she's my favorite thing about her playing is she's just she's not afraid Mm -hmm. to go anywhere and she always ends up in some place really cool that i never would have ever rhythmically or or just rhythmically um melodically and so it works best if i'm on drums Mm -hmm. and she's we wrote a couple songs one time that I was I thought were really cool, but we what never. What happened to them? I don't know. They're in Garage Band somewhere. Well, why don't you guys do a record? I mean, she's pretty busy. <laughs> I'm pretty busy. <laughs> yeah, I should do a record. We'll, we'll do. We could do like a seven inch. Like that would be fun. But like, put it out under not like be like, oh, it's Sam Vincent and Gary Bradley. But like, right. But put it out like. Just make up some weird name and don't really say who it is. And yeah, that right. would be fun. All right. Well, I, I'm gonna hold you to it. Yeah. Kinda. You should do it. Yeah. She. You should play drums on it. She should play you drums. You should play drums. I, I'll, I'll play drums on it. Are you a good drummer? Uh, I've good. I've terrible technique, but I have a I have good time. Oh, that's a, that's yeah. the most important thing. But I'm I, but but past a certain BPM, I'm worthless. <laughs> worthless. So there's a, definitely a Saint Vincent groove on the drums. Get get me around you know a hundred BPM. Mm-hmm. I can keep it. I can keep it. <laughs> you know, little swampy bottom. Um, but anything above that, and I'm just a, just a woefully underprepared. All right. Well, we'll stick with the swampy bottom then. Yeah. (laughs) Nice talking to you. Nice talking to you. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's our show. Christmas is approaching. Are you ready? Are you ready for Christmas? Are you ready for the Kunuka? Are you ready for the other holidays? Not, not being exclusionary. I just don't know them all. I just, uh, I think it's, you know, I, I know they're Christmas and Hanukkah, uh, Kwanzaa, is that that, this is that time? Maybe I shouldn't even talk about it. Happy holidays. How about just that? Are you ready for the holidays? Hey, look, folks, get on the mailing list. I always forget to tell you that. If you go to WTFPod.com, not only can you get JustCoffee.coop, not only can you get the premium app, you know, get the free app, then get the premium app and stream everything. But get on the mailing list. I, I spend a lot of time keeping up with you people. I spend I, I sit it's on Sundays and I write you a nice letter, a nice email about my life and things. So go to the pod, go to WTF pod and get on the mailing list and I'll and I'll email you every week. It's not all business, man. It's uh you know, it's it, it's it's just hey, what's going on? Wasn't St. Vincent great? All right, let's do a little guitar. <laughs> 